Okay, so uh, first uh, this evening I wanted to uh, express our gratitude to those of you who helped yesterday with the clean-up. Uh, it's marvellous, and the amount of work that was done is really phenomenal. And uh, as probably all of you know, we have a retreat week weekend coming up this next weekend, the women's retreat led by Sister Nandabodi, and that's followed immediately after that by... Um, a very large group of the nuns coming up from Chittos Namarawati. I think it's 15 of them are coming up to have um, a nice break in Kusala House so uh, that we've now got that place ready. And besides that, we all the, the old refrigerators and freezers have gone and, and uh, building material. So thank you very much. It's uh, very much appreciated. This evening I wanted to uh, raise for our, our shared reflection, our shared contemplation, the theme of the three R's. And now, of course, I don't mean reading, writing, and arithmetic, but talking about reaction, regret, and renewal. Because uh, various questions have been asked lately, and the subject seems to have been raised, and perhaps not in those words, and words like revenge and repentance and remorse, all of these have been in conversation lately, and so I thought it might be useful to spend some time together reflecting on these things. So beginning with reaction or reactivity, Presumably all of us know what it's like, can remember how good it feels when we come from a place of awareness. Everybody here has been practicing for a good period of time and, and uh, you don't keep on with this if you're not finding any benefit. And, and the uh, essential benefit of this way of practice is the, the deeper, quicker connection with the true refuge of awareness. When we're living in the moment, here and now, with mindfulness, the whole body and mind, and if it's a, a pristine quality awareness, it's free from compulsive judging, taking sides, and for and against. When we manage to act by body or speech or mind from a place of awareness, it really feels good. That's, the, that's the, uh, the reward, if you like, of practice. There's a, a very natural joy, not a, not a giggly kind of transitory happiness, but it's just a very organic sense of well-being emerges when we're not coming from a place of conditioning or reactivity. And so presumably all of us can easily, I expect, remember what it's like when we do come from a place of reaction. 
and how bad it feels. We react by body or by speech or by mind. So perhaps, you know, right now we just, just, just bring something to mind when something happened or it's not really something happened. That's a way of avoiding responsibility. When we did something, you know, when we did something by way of body or speech or mind, there was a reaction. We believed in the conditioning. We believed in the perception of me not getting my way and somebody is responsible. The whole drama of me and you and the world and blame and it's all so serious and so solid and and painful. And that somebody has got to take the blame for this pain. It might be you, it might be the world or it might be me. But that's what happens, isn't it? When we believe in the, in the conditioning of the mind, in the, the thoughts, the memories from the past and the fantasies we're having, the fantasies about the future. If we believe in it, if we invest in it more than is appropriate according to reality, then the result is that we, our action is not real action based on awareness, it's reaction. And then we miss the mark. Or as the Christians say, we fall into sin. And that's literally what sin means, you know, I'm told, missing the mark. Where we have an unskillful, unwholesome intention and react on it. So it doesn't feel good. I can uh, just last week I'll share with you my own little moment of heedlessness, heedless reactivity. I went down to to enjoy one more time the emerging garden next to Kusala House. And probably you, you're all aware that I spent quite a bit of time over the last three years planning this garden in my mind and on paper and consulting people and and then just in the last few weeks, it's all started to come together, as you will have noticed. Various, various skilled people have turned up and have helped us. The, the wall has built, those huge glacial boulders <laughs> have been dragged into shape, fortunately without damaging anybody, and dragged into position. And, and the pond has been built and, and by uh, Martin, came down from Scotland, and, and uh, the shrine has been constructed, and... And soon there'll be a Buddha image, which has been sponsored. It's going to be sitting in place there. And, and the furniture has been ordered, and the plants are sitting there waiting to plant. And it's all just marvelous. I just, you know, next to building a meditation, a shrine room, I, I find building a garden one of the loveliest things that you could possibly do. And uh, so I was down there the other day, just went to enjoy this emerging possibility one more time and, and visualize how it's going to be. And then I was struck almost struck down by this horrendous smell of creosote. Creosote. Now, I, apparently, I'm told not everybody detests creosote, but perhaps not everybody has an olfactory consciousness like I have. I, mean, I sometimes think I must have been a, a lizard for quite a few lifetimes, and I, that part of my brain seems to be more developed than any part of me. And, and the smell of creosote, <laughs> I have to say, is very disturbing. And it's, uh, even to the point of, I, I sometimes, I have some very good friends who live in South Africa who invite me to go there, but I've been there several times, and the place is swimming in creosote. 
Uh, they have, I don't know, they've got ants or something everywhere. So they paint everything with creosote. And I even had this, this idea. You might think this is crazy. But you know how you know, they sprayed Cambodia with Agent Orange? And, and one theory is it got into the, the food chain and drove everybody crazy. And, and they had that horrible genocide. Well, I even had this idea that apartheid in South Africa was caused by creosote that, you know, it is so awful. And you've got to be mad to support apartheid. And so I thought maybe this mental disorder was caused by creosote. I mean, that's just to let you know my feeling about creosote. And so the other day I went down to the... It's called, it's called Bojunga Garden because it's got seven seats, the seven facts of enlightenment, you understand? There's seven places you can sit in, in the garden down there. And I approach, and then there's this onslaught of... of, of um, offensive odour and then I saw right at the gateway the entrance to this garden somebody had emptied out a good portion of a large tank of creosote and my mind moved for I was going to say for a moment but I confess it was quite a few moments and I actually didn't fortunately I didn't speak about it but my mind this is talking about reactivity what happened I was unhappy for quite a while what was the unhappiness caused by? It was caused by this mental reaction. I mean, blaming somebody and just, I'm not going to quote the thoughts that I had, but they were not very nice. And they were in a reaction to what? Me not getting my way. You know, three years preparing a garden, blah, 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 my garden, no, no, all the rest of it. Heedless indulgence in me and mine, and then it's thwarted by what actually, of course, I'm sure, was a, a totally innocent accident. Somebody had been very generously, kindly, and diligently cleaning out the workshop and put these things outside, and this tank fell over. And so it was all unnecessary. But reflecting on what happens when we get caught in a heedless reaction, what makes a difference, in my experience, what makes a difference is how long it takes before we own up to what we're doing. That's what makes a difference. We're always going to be tripped up, so long as we've got attachments, so long as it's still me and my way, so long as we're still mistaking the refuge as you know, me getting what I want instead of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. We forget about that refuge and hold on to commitment to me getting what I want, thinking that's going to give me contentment. So long as we're still doing that to any degree, we're going to get tripped up. So we can't stop ourselves from getting tripped up. But what we can do, as they teach in judo, is not, you know, don't get thrown, but how quick can you recover? Now, I think this is helpful to remember because sometimes we can, we can, when we're suffering, you know, we can make a thing out of practice as if you know, we're a failure because we suffer. That's, I don't think that's helpful. We're always going to, we're going to keep suffering until we're free, until we've learned our lesson. And so what I do and what I practice, and it didn't take me long to recover from, admittedly, a, a fairly minor moment of heedlessness, but it is the sort of thing I could have well reacted much worse in the past over. And, but with the momentum of going for refuge to awareness and owning up to what I'm doing that is making this moment into a problem, and owning up to that, actually, there's that momentum of, of, of being here now with this then you see it, you feel it. You say, Actually, you, I don't have to do that. In fact, not only I don't have to, I don't want to do it. I don't want to make a problem. 
out of not getting my way. That's helpful. And if we have that kind of a feeling, if we have that kind of an experience, then we can learn to even... It's even like a willingness emerges, a willingness to accept our limitations quicker and a willingness to even learn from suffering. We've all heard many times in many ways that the Buddha spoke about the need to pay attention to suffering at the right time in the right way and then we're able to see the cause of the suffering. And only through this, you know, as he said, uh, I, t I teach two things, <clears throat> suffering and the freedom from suffering. That's it. And so first we've got to, we've got to undo the reactivity that's, that's always avoiding the suffering. When we, when we, you know, there's all this conditioning that it's somebody else's fault and, you know, when we're children... You know, we get away with it for a while. But once we've grown up, once we've become adults, well, the task surely is, is, to, is to stop blaming and to get quicker at coming back to feeling what we're doing in the moment that's making a problem out of it. So not to try too hard to not suffer. I mean, it's a mistake every, you know, try too hard to not suffer. I would suggest rather increased willingness to suffer. Yeah. If we still equate uh, suffering with failure, well then, you know, of course we're trying to avoid suffering all the time. But we can turn it around using a little mental exercise. We can turn it around and welcome the suffering. When suffering comes to us, oh, put our hands together and... And just as we would bow to the Buddha, you know, the Buddha is our primary teacher. But actually, suffering is also the teacher. And so just as we would bow to the Buddha, and we learn to bow with our whole body to the Buddha, we also bow to the suffering. When suffering comes to us, whatever we've done by body, speech, or mind, all we feel has been done to us, and then we do something in our minds. Wherever, whenever we catch it, we find a way of encouraging ourselves to bow into it and say, welcome, please teach me what I need to learn. Because so long as we're still doing what we're doing, that turns the normal pain of life into suffering, well then yes, we've still got something to learn. And we, we do this habitually. And that's why we react. You know, pain comes, we stub our toe, It's normal. But if we then all get angry about it, that's extra. You spend three years creating a beautiful garden and somebody accidentally knocks over the creosote and there's this offensive smell there and there's a disappointment. That's natural. But if then you go and say, it shouldn't be this way, that's extra. So appreciating that, increases the mindfulness, increases the presence, so we catch it sooner. So we don't adding to it, not adding to it, not feeding it. And we, then letting go happens. And then when letting go happens, then there's the good feeling. Oh, what a relief. What a problem I could have created. I mean, you see this happen. I mean, wow. It goes on for years. Things happen and, 
and 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 people won't let go of it. They won't let go of the stuff. I was talking with somebody earlier today about revenge. You know, people who are locked into into situations that they feel are very unjust. Things have happened to them. People who are in prison, feeling hard done by, and resentment and bitterness. Well, even if even if unfortunate things, painful things, regrettable things have happened to us, it's what we add extra to it that turns the pain into suffering. But it's not always easy to actually let it go. We all know that. A little bit of creosote is not actually a big deal, but sometimes a lot things a lot worse than that happen in life, and we do things that we really regret. And this is why you know, I wanted the second one, regret, or sometimes the word remorse is perhaps more appropriate. It's a natural, it's a natural response. It's a natural feeling if we get lost in doing something unskillful. Although it can be difficult for us to get the message of remorse or regret, in reality, this emotion is part of the lesson, part of the learning. Regrettably, uh, many of us have been conditioned with uh, a particular way of thinking that turns natural healthy remorse or regret into guilt. You do something unskillful and then you sit and you remember it and you say something, maybe something hurtful or you with by way of body and remorse comes up. That remorse is a, it's like there's a natural painful feeling that's teaching the heart. This is the consequence. This is a consequence of heedless action or heedless reaction and if we're there for it if we're there for it with awareness here and now then that pain teaches letting go it becomes complicated when the conditioning that we've been subjected to causes us to grasp the remorse and then really feed on it and then really torture ourselves with it I should know better. I shouldn't have done that. I'm an evil person. And this, people who don't suffer from this condition find it very difficult to understand. And it's very helpful to understand. Understanding can actually free us from this. You know, things that have happened in the past, maybe, you know, maybe we hurt somebody or we did something. Again, to quote an incident in my own life, I can think back to after I've been meditating for many years, many years I've been a monk, and, and one day this memory came into my mind of how I used to sneak into my parents' bedroom and open my mother's top drawer, and right in the center there there was a little wooden box which she kept her change in. And this was the money that she used to put in the box in church on Sunday, in the plate. You know how in Presbyterian church they pass the plate along and you put your or whatever that's in there. And this is the money she'd put in there. Well, I used to go in there and nick from this drawer. And I think I started with threepences, 
I can't remember the details, but the impression I have, I started with threepences and moved up to sixpences, and then shillings, and then florins. And I might have even gone to half crowns, I don't know. But it became a habit. And all of you smiling very forgivingly and, and, and tolerant and so on. But I tell you, after meditating for many years, and this memory came up, I felt so ashamed. I just felt so terribly ashamed of, of nicking from my mother. Not just nicking, but nicking from the church plate, in effect. But then what was interesting to observe was how, what the mind made out of it. You know. There's like, there can be in the mind a, a conditioning that actually wants to prove you're guilty, wants to prove you're bad. Now, fortunately, in our society these days, we have encoded in our legal system that wonderful principle that you're innocent until proven guilty. This is a, this is a wonderful thing. This is very virtuous. But that's not the conditioning that many of us have. You know, there's this idea that actually you're guilty until you're proven innocent, that you're born guilty, that you're inherently evil. And so when we do do things that are unskillful, as we all do, we make mistakes by body, speech, and mind, and then you remember it. Well, we need to be very alert to any tendencies of the mind to get in the way of the natural healing, the natural letting go, that yes, remorse will come up or regret. It should be that way. That's healthy. Yeah, when we feel remorse, we feel regret. That's healthy. That's part of the healing. That's part of the letting go. But if we then grab that and then start hurting ourselves with it, that's something extra. We don't have to do that. And so with awareness, with, with presence, here and now, and then particularly if we've really seen how compulsive the judging mind can be, how we're getting off on taking sides for and against, you know, particularly in this case with this kind of conditioning, I'm talking about taking side against ourselves, playing the virtuous one, playing the almighty who condemns the evil. You know, we condemn ourselves and we can really get off on this and say, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm evil. And you, you can see this uh, if you have it in your own mind or you can see it in other people, that the unwillingness or the inability to let go, even feeling that it's somehow virtuous to hate. Oneself or others, that's exactly the same. You know. Whether we're perceiving me or perceiving you, it's all just a perception in the mind of beings, a deluded perception, usually. And so whether we're condemning, hating this being or hating that being or hating the world, it doesn't make any difference. It's feeling justified in hatred is a really uh, really unhelpful bit of conditioning. But if we can get a handle on it, we can see it, well, that's a wonderful insight to have because sometimes that conditioning is so deep that it can take our insight very deep. So even if we have that kind of conditioning, it's not something to feel sorry for ourselves about, not at all. It's just, a, it's just an indicator, it's a pointer. I mean, we've all got conditioning, just say. How, how quickly can we get there and to see it for what it is? That's conditioning. No taking sides, for or against. We're not even taking sides against the conditioning. Just seeing as conditioning. When remorse arises, regret arises, to let it just it be what it is, it's just so. It's part of the learning. We feel the pain, say, oh, wow, I don't want to do that anymore. Let the tears come. If the tears come, yeah. I've talked with parents who things have happened with their children when they're young that they can spend the rest of their whole life regretting and not let go of the regret, somehow feeling it's virtuous to hate themselves for having made a mistake. So it's not, it's obviously not something we admire, hitting children. 
But sometimes it happens in the heat of a moment, especially, you know, your first child and you're a young parent and a lot of pressure and you just can't, and sometimes, you know, things happen. And, and uh, well, again, actually, it's better to say, actually, you do things, if not things happen. You know. Sometimes we do things that cause us to feel regret and remorse. Well, a skill is to actually feel the remorse, feel the regret, and it's here and now, judgment-free, body-mind awareness, let it go through us and then learn the lesson, say, I really regret that, and, and then to put our hands together and just say, may I learn the lesson so I don't do that again. And then the pain actually becomes our teacher. It doesn't have to be something that's going to torture us for the rest of our life. If we don't have this perspective, we don't have this understanding, well, we can. We can feel like this is going to be with me the rest of my life. I'm never going to be able to let go of this. Suicide is a, a big one. If you know people who've committed suicide and then you start to think of the things that you could have said that, that could have helped or that you did say that you wish you hadn't said but didn't help. And so then remorse and regret can come up. Well, if we positively had the intention to want somebody to kill themselves and we acted on it, well, then we've got our work cut out and then to let go of that and learn that lesson. But almost certainly that's not the case. Where that remorse and regret comes from was not from an intentional wish for somebody to kill themselves. It was a heedlessness at the most. And, And we can forgive ourselves for that. We need to learn to forgive ourselves from that. But the way to forgive ourselves is, is not just to idealize about how we should get over it. Sometimes, insensitively, we get that kind of advice. But through understanding. Through the kind of awareness that's here and now, sees and understands the process. That was reactivity coming out of believing and conditioning. We got fooled. We were like, it's like somebody who's drunk in a state of diminished responsibility. And even legally, you know, they're not fully responsible. Or even as a monk, and you know, as a, there we have these four rules that if you break them, then, you, then you're finished. You're never a monk. You can't be a monk. You're not a monk. You can't be a monk again in this life. But if you break those rules when you're mad, then it doesn't count. And so you know, I'm not using that to dilute the seriousness of some of the things that we do in our life, but, but to bear in mind that that when we are working with this kind of pain and learning to let go, then we have to, as wise to and compassionate, to accept that actually we are in a state of diminished responsibility. That's why we do these things. If we really knew what we were doing, we wouldn't do them. And so it helps in learning to let go, to get the message. And then we make a determination. May I not do this again? And this is where renewal comes from. So there's reactivity, reaction, and then, and then regret, remorse. And then renewal is where that forgiveness happens. Or we could say we do forgiveness. But more with this, it's actually what we don't do. When forgiveness can feel like, uh, in a way, it can feel like, again, what the Christians would refer to as grace because it does have a feeling of it, comes to us. But I think it's, it's terribly important if we are struggling over this one to, again, learn to understand the process, to understand what's going on, to bring the right quality of awareness to what's going on, 
And whether it's something we did or something we feel was done to us unjustly, there's still this this pain there and and it can go on for for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And it can be collective in a society. National pride, nationalism, bitterness. But we we can do something about it if we work with it in the right way. And, and so one of the things worth bearing in mind is, is that, as probably we all understand, that the memories of the past we can't do much about. When things happen to us or we do things that are very painful and cause lead to pain for ourselves and others, then to remember that can still bring pain. But there's a difference between whether there's just pain, as I was saying before, or whether there becomes suffering. If we, this is something we can't just philosophize about or intellectually argue ourselves into believing in, but if we, at the moment where we feel the pain, we remember the pain, if we can be there, present at the time, and see where we add something negative and bitter that turns that pain of the memory, there's the memory, natural, pain, natural, But if we add something to that that's extra and not natural, it turns it into this bitterness. And if we can see that, well, then we also, we see what we're doing. We can also see what we don't have to do or what we can choose to not do. And that's where letting go can happen. If we don't see that, well, then we we can easily feel like, you know, feel the bitterness is something we can't let go of. Or if we have some heedless conditioning we're still believing in, then... You know, then we can feel virtuous even in hating ourselves or hating others. There's a, a tragic situation that I think I, I've spoken about in the past. Uh, after with was it seven seven a few years ago when they was it seven seven was that in, in London they had the bombing and and there was an interview on the radio with a uh, a vicar who uh, lost her partner in that and this was quite some time afterwards she had left the church. She said she couldn't be a vicar anymore because she could never forgive the bombers. And I heard that. I thought, wow, I mean, that is, that's really tragic. That's sad. You know, she didn't do the bomb. I mean, if she'd done the bomb, I could understand her having a problem. You know, but she didn't do the bomb. You know, somebody else did the bomb and took, took her partner out. But what she was doing, she couldn't see. And so she, because she couldn't see, she, felt, you know, she didn't feel able to let go. So it's not she was a bad person, I mean, she's a vicar, I mean, she's somebody whose life was consecrated to goodness. But because of the lack of understanding, the lack of the right quality of awareness, she wasn't able to see what was going on that was stopping her from letting go. But when there is the letting go, when we can see that in the moment for ourselves and we discover we have the power to not invest the negativity and we just for a moment, there's this opening up and the relief, then there's the, then there's the promise, then there's the potential, then there's the joy that comes, which we call forgiveness. Whether it's forgiving oneself, you feel at last you can forgive yourself for anything you've done in the past. Okay, you might still have some karmic repercussions, you know, like Ungli Mala. Poor Ungli Mala, you know, in the scriptures there, the guy had gone around killing all these people and he got treated pretty badly for the rest of his life, but he was an arahant. You know, he didn't have any problems. His body wasn't very comfortable. He had a few things thrown at him. And, but it didn't, it didn't get to the heart. 
So, you know, even the Buddha, we, we, you know, he spoke about the karmic repercussions that his body went through of things that happened in his previous lives. So the body, we, we, you know, some things we can't avoid. Certain karmic things we've been implicated in in this life and past lives. Uh, sometimes there's nothing you can do about what the body receives. But that's not where the freedom lies. In this, in this teaching, in this path of practice, the freedom lies in actually freeing the heart from the habitual reactivity that creates suffering out of pain. So, if we can get this message, and, and when we do get caught in reactivity and we feel the remorse, to somehow welcome that, to find a way, even if we're just going through the words to start off with and we don't really mean it, that's okay, we, we use the form and then the spirit comes later. Yeah, we say, welcome, teach me what I need to learn. And then if we could do experience the letting go and we feel the forgiveness, we feel the joy, we feel the relief, yeah. Then we feel the benefit, and well, then we're encouraged, and a lot of lot of strength comes out of that, and, and our commitment to practice is, uh, is strengthened as a result. And so there's also this this word I've heard recently in people talking about repentance, and, and how it's something that we're encouraged to do. And um, there are some particular uh, spiritual disciplines where. It's ritualized, ritualized repentance. And, and the encouragement sometimes is actually ritualized to the point where it becomes a dogma. And, and this, this, this can turn even that exercise into a problem. And so basically, so if somebody was asking me about this, they're using the, the practice of repentance as because they've been told they should do it, they should engage in this practice of repentance. And, and uh, it was Buddhist people, by the way, in case you're wondering, um, and not, not Theravada Buddhists. But, um, and yet they felt that it wasn't very true. They, they've been trying to do it and trying to do it, trying to do it, and it wasn't very true. I think this is, this is helpful to remind ourselves that all these religious practices, all these spiritual exercises that were offered, the offerings, you know, the, the Buddha... The Buddha taught these skillful means for us to pick up as and when they're helpful. So it's not the case that we've got to read all the scriptures and listen to all the teachings of all the traditions and, and learn all the skillful means and then apply all of them to every situation. You know, the kind of obsessive thinking that we have could lead us in that direction. So no, it's not that we're free to pick up what works. If it doesn't work, then fine. And so even with the encouragement to engage in, in, in conscious repentance, I would, I would suggest that you know, we apply ourselves to it and to, and to realize that, yes, we've all made mistakes. It's like what we do on New Year's Eve. Yeah. We have the, we call the forgiveness and renewal exercise. We admit, yeah, we all allow our attention to fall short of reality on, on many occasions and we believe in our conditioning. And then on the basis of that delusion, we react by body, speech, and mind, and then we create suffering for ourselves and others. And sometimes we haven't even been aware of it. But there's an accumulation of, of this heedlessness in our hearts and minds. And, and so as a way of taking responsibility, we can reflect on that. And then as we reflect on it, then the sense of remorse comes up. Now it's genuine. 
a sense of remorse and regret comes up when we see the pain of the world and say, well, I know, I really don't want to add to that. You know, that wish to not be contributing is compassion. And compassion is enhanced by repentance if it comes with the feeling of real sense of, yeah, I'm involved with this, I am implicated in this. Every time I, I lose clarity and, and I, somebody spills a little creosote in, in the garden and I react, well, actually, I'm complicit in generating wars in the world. That's not an exaggeration. And when we feel that, well, then genuine repentance can come out of it, and, and that's part of learning the lesson. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.